And welcome to Bay Presbyterian Church and Eastern Standard Time. It's good to see all of you here. I hope you got your clock set in the right direction. When I was in school one time, an old boy said, well, there have been times that I've fallen forward and sprung backwards. So I hope you got it right. Welcome, one and all. Uh, good to be back with you. I just want to say uh, thanks to everyone who prayed for Kathy and I as we made an unscheduled trip up to be able to see my mom on her birthday, and she has had a really good week, and we are really grateful. Thank you for your prayers. Also want to welcome those who are joining us online. We're always grateful to have uh, you join with us, and so welcome one and all. We've got a lot going on this morning, so I'm going to breeze through the announcements as quickly as I can, so listen quickly as I go through these. Of course, if you have not before filled out a welcome card, we would love for you to do that and let you drop that in the offering plate in just a little bit. We're looking forward to uh, the outcome of uh, Pastors Andre and John going to Memphis next week where they're going to be on television. I feel like we need to have Buck Owens come out and say they're going to put me in the movies. But uh, <laughs> please pray for that trip. We'll be saying more about that later as we expect the Lord to work and do wonderful things through that as they will be um, on WREG.com on November the 13th from 945 until 11. So they're getting more than 15 seconds of fame. The choir's fall session has begun, and there's still room to be a part of it. Please join us Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Also, today, November the 5th, is the last day to turn in any Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. So, today's the day. Grief care begins uh, this Tuesday, November the 7th at uh, 8.30. That class will go until 10 a.m. See Rachel for more details. And, of course, there's a slide prepared for that. That's grief care on Tuesdays at 8.30. This Thursday, Dr. Greg Poland, who will be preaching today, will be talking to us about something about taking care of our brains. I, it won't take as long for me as it does for the rest of you. But <laughs> that's going to be on Thursday, November the 9th at 11 a.m., so that'll be about an hour and a half or so of lecture and then an opportunity for you to ask questions. We'll call it Stump the Professor on Thursday. <laughs> oh, also Thursday evening, we will be back on track with Bible study at 630. We'll be looking again at the life of Abraham and would love for you to be a part of that on Thursday, uh, that same day that the lecture will be taking place at 630 in the fellowship hall. So those are some things to mention. One other announcement that has come to my mind, though, been brought to my attention, rather, is that we realize there may be some of you, as you're looking toward Thanksgiving, you may not have plans. Perhaps you're single and you don't anticipate who you're going to be spending Thanksgiving with. I don't want to put you on the spot, but we've got some folks who are kind of looking around to see if there might be an opportunity to get together. So... If you're in that category and wouldn't mind slipping up your hand, you don't have to, but if you would like to spend Thanksgiving with someone and you don't have plans, could you please raise your hand and just let us get an idea? Okay. All right. Just want to, how was that for being awkward? Did I, did I navigate that pretty well? Just please know in spite of my attempts, I had the best of intentions. 
as uh, we very much want to minister to uh, one another in this body. And so, not only do we find ourselves on standard time, we find ourselves here on the Lord's Day. And regardless of the time, we are looking forward to eternity, secured for us by God's own Son. So Christians, let's prepare our hearts and minds now to worship our great, awesome, and loving God. Good morning, everyone. Please join me in our call to worship, which is found on the inside front cover of the bulletin, or you can view it on the screens. Our passage today is from Revelation 5. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in saying, And as the Lord is worshipped in heaven, let us stand together and sing hallelujah to Jesus.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, how we do praise the name of your beloved Son, whom you have given as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And as we worship you through his name, we delight ourselves in knowing that you love us so. As incomprehensible as it is, bless us, we pray, to know what we can know in this life, that we may exalt you and glorify you and adore you. For you alone are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none in heaven beside you. And we ask you to bless us here on earth, that we may have a foretaste of heaven itself as we exalt your name together. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And still in a spirit of prayer, may I ask you to be seated as we will be led in the Lord's Prayer by the quartet. And as we continue worshiping, let us confess together the faith that has been once delivered to all the saints, a faith that not only is ours individually by way of a gift from God, but a body of truth to which we hold fervently. And so I ask each of you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the 
third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. Amen and amen. This is the reading of the Word of God, 1 John 1, 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him, and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth, is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And now we'll ask our ushers to come forward. As we continue to worship the Lord by giving our tithes and offerings, let's bow together for prayer. Almighty Father, inasmuch as we acknowledge that we are sinners and fall so far short of your glory, we are grateful for the cleansing blood of our Lord Jesus. And so, our Father, we bring to you this offering, not for the purpose of attempting to achieve anything in your sight, but out of thanksgiving for what you have done for us. Receive these offerings, we pray, as we offer them to you, even as we do this prayer. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.
share it with you. We would love to have it as part of your worship repertoire here at this church. So, would you uh, look at the screens, and we're going to have an instant replay. Just join the choir. You have a song sheet in the bulletin, and stand up, please, and sing about our God who is mighty to save. Jesus 
That was terrific. we got to figure out a, a new ending for that, Gordon. <laughs> I'd like to be resolved at the end. Well, that was very nice. Thank you. Um, I'd ask you to pull out from your bulletin your uh, prayer sheet. Take a look down there. Uh, Greg Poland, our preacher today, a fellow at the Mayo Clinic, is going to be uh, teaching on Thursday, is it? At 11 o'clock? And the name of it is Living 100 Years. Taking care of your brain, living to 100 years. Okay, well, we, get, we all have a good start. So <laughs> um, we're looking forward to that. Thursday at, at 11, it'll run an hour and a half. We'll have an hour lecture and some Q&A afterwards. And that'll be right here in this room. And um, so quickly, Pastor Andre and I, uh, Andre uh, runs the Place of Hope uh, um, Orphanage in Haiti, and um, the story got picked up by a podcast in Memphis, Tennessee, and 
and they said, I want to I want to meet this guy. And so Andre and I are going out to Memphis so he can meet a, and be a part of a podcast that happens called An Army of Normal Folks. And, uh, and I'm told, at least the guy who does it says that it is the number 10 rated podcast in America on Apple. Uh, and... And then I got a, a, a phone call last week, and they said, would you be willing to do a television interview? And, uh, and I said, well, I've never been a televangelist before. <laughs> and breaking new ground for me. And uh, Pastor Andre, and we agreed to do it. So we're going to be on, on television in uh, Memphis, a regional station, and that will be um, live streamed as well. So if you want to see it, either live or then in the archive, it's wreg.com. It's in your bulletins on the, on the What's Happening page. Okay. Well, we're going to need lots of prayer. They say that uh, television adds 10 pounds, and I've been, watching, I've been watching a lot of TV lately, so. <laughs> so if you'd keep us in prayer, this is really... It's really quite serious, and, and it's, uh, it's a very exciting opportunity, and we pray that it would adound to the glory of Christ and the building of the Place of Hope Orphanage. But if you would pick out two or three of these prayers here before you uh, that you would pray for silently, I'll conclude us after time. Let's go to God in prayer. Great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you are receptive to our prayers. That we are, uh, as believers in Jesus Christ, children of the risen King. And, and God, we, we are so grateful because oftentimes we don't know how to pray. But your Bible tells us that when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us uh, to make our prayers intelligible and to clarify our prayers before you. So as feeble as we are, God, we come to you with the only thing that we have, words. And, uh, and we present these words before you and ask you to both make sense out of them and then to act on them. Thanking you, God, that you are the God of providence, that, uh, that you are a sovereign God, and that, that as crazy as this world seems to be going, you still have everything under control. And not a molecule in this universe exists outside of the realm of your sovereign control. God, what comfort we find in that to know that, that as crazy as things appear to be to us, you know. And not only do you know, but you act on the, the circumstances of our, our daily lives, of the world. And God, how grateful we are to put ourselves in your hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the men and women who are standing up for us overseas and here in the United States training, and we pray that you would be with them to protect them and to guide them and to uh, give them success in their missions. Pray the same for our local uh, first responders, God. We pray for them as well. We pray for those who are struggling with health issues. Uh, Father, we have so many uh, that are listed here. And then beyond that, God, every one of us has a list of our own of people who need our prayer. 
So, God, we would pray for your Holy Spirit now to make that intercession for us. We pray for those who are uh, struggling physically, who need your presence, your strength, your healing touch. God, we pray that you visit them with such. And then, God, thank you for the good ministries with which we're associated, praying particularly for this opportunity that Pastor Andre has in Memphis to to speak out on, on behalf of the Place of Hope Orphanage and to, uh, to make his case before a, a broad national audience uh, for the Place of Hope. And we pray, God, that that would uh, reap a harvest. We pray for that orphanage and for the kids there. God, we pray that, that those kids, as they're brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, would be game changers for the nation of Haiti. That needs so much help. And now, God, we pray for our pastor as he comes to us. Thank you for Pastor Greg and, uh, and his uh, conviction and uh, the way you have worked in his life in such a magnificent way to bring him to the place where he now, with us, brings the gospel. And so, God, bless him. Open our ears. Open our hearts. we get started here, I just want to say thank you to so many of you who sent cards. Uh, that was really wonderful of you. Thank you. As we get uh, settled in here to hear God's word, if you'll put your thumb into the 18th chapter of the book of John. Um, just so I have an idea, how many of you are planning on attending the seminar Thursday on how to live to 100? Oh, that's gratifying. Thank you. Okay. One other announcement is on Sunday mornings, and it's not too late, we'll just start getting into it next Sunday. We're going to be teaching on the Westminster Confession of Faith, said to be the wisest of creeds in its teaching and the finest in its doctrinal expression. Is it not also a master brushstroke on the canvas of God's revelation and redemption? So, let's go to John. As we get ready here, uh, let me just make the point that the most important issue, I hope, for all of us, is the search for truth. We want truth, the true truth, if you will, in our lives. For example, our society is organized, at least on paper, with dependence upon our judicial system to determine truth such that justice is done rightly. You may remember the movie A Few Good Men. Tom Cruise plays the part of the prosecuting attorney, the Navy attorney, questioning Marine Corps Colonel Jessup, who's played by Jack Nicholson. As Cruise is cross-examining Nicholson, Nicholson sharks shouts from the witness stand, you want answers? Cruz yells back, and you'll notice the resemblance. I want the truth, he says. And Nicholson replies, you can't handle the truth. Well, I fear Colonel Jessup was right. We live in a postmodern society that rejects truth and the claims that it makes on our lives. 
So this morning we're going to look at another courtroom judicial drama occurring about 2,000 years earlier. And so if we want real answers, truthful answers, we must look to truth itself, that is scripture, to understand what is truth. After all, we want answers. Let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are gathered here as a fellowship of believers, called and drawn by you, because you are truth itself. We want to know the truth and live our lives according to the truth. Be with us now and illumine our understanding. And help me, Lord, to deliver your word to this, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, our scripture passage this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 18th chapter, and we'll read verses 28 to 38. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? The grass withers and the flowers fade. But this, the very word of God, stands forever and by his grace is preached to you, his people today. So in this passage, we have zeroed in on the very center of the narrative of Christ's trial before Pontius Pilate. It's a gripping drama. We listen in on the dialogue between Pilate, the ruler of a worldly empire in Rome, 
And Jesus, the King of kings, the ruler of a heavenly empire. Focus will be on two related issues. One, the question that has echoed through the corridors of time all the way to today. What is truth? And two, our spiritual address. That is, to which kingdom or city do we live in? Let me set the scene. The Jewish leaders understand that Jesus is turning their kingdom upside down. He's a threat to their positions of of power and of prestige. Ironically, while they profess to be godly and to worship the one God, they don't recognize the God-man standing right in front of their very eyes. Because like today, they are blinded not by the bright light of God and His truth, but by the fog of the degenerate desire for the praise of man and of position and riches and power. Jesus, of course, knows this about man. In fact, to address it head on, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, he also says it in Luke, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his very soul? Jesus is speaking the truth and addressing the dichotomy between the city of God and the city of man. But back to the courtroom drama. The Sanhedrin and the Pharisees want Jesus out of the way permanently. But they have a problem, a big problem as it turns out. They can't solve it themselves. So they turn to their detested enemy, Rome and its rulers. The problem involves one of their very own religious observances, and that is the Passover and the law that forbids them to kill during that time. So they bring Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor. They accuse Jesus of many things, but not one of them sticks. False witnesses, false accusations, and extreme legal irregularities of this proceeding according to Jewish law, none of which, of course, Pilate has any interest in. So in a last and desperate attempt, the very ones who form the highest Jewish court and whose duty it is to determine truth themselves falsify their testimony, accusing Jesus of claiming to be a king. They knowingly appeal to Pilate's lack of integrity, by saying publicly as a way of sort of peer or group pressure in John 18, 19, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar's. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Oh, how threatening that must have been to unbelieving ears, especially Roman ears. Pilate was uninterested in Jewish law and concerns, he told them plainly so in the passage we read. Rather as a ruler in the city of man, and some of you know where I'm going already, he sought only to determine whether Jesus posed a threat to the city of man. Was he a political leader who would try and take power away from Rome? Pilate is the perfect ambassador for the city of man. 
interested only in political power and position, using brutal and deadly force to ensure his power and position, a man both morally weak and cruelly brutal, as Richard Phillips notes in his commentary. He's not really a man at all. This is why Pilate asked him, So are you a king? Now Pilate is interested for claiming to be a king, an, an earthly king in the city of man. That's a direct challenge to Caesar's authority. Jesus responds clearly to this question, though, more clearly than Pilate ever imagined. He says, my kingdom, he admits he has a kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. He's making the critical point of this passage. There are two and two only kingdoms, very different in scope, in composition, in philosophy and outcome. Jesus is the king of one of these kingdoms. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, wrote a monumental book called The City of God early in the 5th century. Many consider it a cornerstone of Western thought, and I commend it to you. We had to read it in um, seminary. Augustine writes about two cities or or kingdoms, as they're called here in our teaching passage, as they come into dramatic and and really history-changing conflict. John illustrates for us here in our passage this, this tale of two, two different systems of thought involving two different kings, two very different political systems, two different kingdoms, and two very different outcomes. The first city Augustine explores is the city of man. We're familiar with this city. It's a city built around the praise of men and the the primacy of self. A city where man, evil, and sin rules. A city where there is no truth because the definition of truth is arbitrary and manipulated to meet the sinful desires and ends. Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 1, verse 10. He says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man, the city of man, or of God, the city of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Paul makes the point that here's one criterion by which to determine which city we live in. In the city of man, it it simply can't be any other way than sin because of total depravity. The Reformed faith teaches that humanity is totally depraved, meaning every aspect of our being, our wills, our, our emotion, our intellect, everything is affected by sin. It doesn't mean we're as evil as we could possibly be, but it does mean that sin taints everything. We do. This is why we desperately need truth. By ourselves, we can't find it. We can't recognize it. We can't even live it. The other city, the city of God. 
God is unimaginably different. It's a city of unchanging, eternal truth. A city where the praise of men is not heard toward other men, but the praise of men is lifted up to the one who is true. A city where Christ rules, not man. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 10, speaking about Abraham leaving his land and going out, not knowing where he was going. He says this, For he was looking forward to this city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. And later in Hebrews eleven sixteen, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. The attributes of the city of God permeate Scripture. It's on every page. A sort of choice each of us must choose is what I call our spiritual address. We all have a physical address. But we all need a spiritual address. Which kingdom? Because which city we choose has eternal consequences and outcomes. And like Colonel Jessup said so memorably, many can't handle the truth. A couple of brief word studies. In verse 36, Jesus declares, My kingdom, or Basileia is the Greek word, is not of this world. The term Basileia can be understood as reign or rule other than a physical territory. By using this term, Christ is emphasizing the nature of his kingdom. It's spiritual, not worldly. His authority is not derived from earthly powers, but from his divine identity and mission. This is why Pilate and much of the world, even today, cannot comprehend it. They look for a kingdom of this world, the kingdom of man. It's the only one they know and recognize. But oh, don't you worry. Soon enough, Pilate will learn the truth about the one. Another important word is that of world. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world or cosmos. This is a word you're familiar with. The term cosmos refers to the ordered universe or the world as the place where humanity dwells. In John's gospel, it signifies the fallen world system that stands in opposition to God. So Jesus is here differentiating his kingdom from the prevailing power structures and values of the city of man, the cosmos. It is within this dialogue that Pilate poses that that famous question, what is truth? He could not have asked a more important or compelling question. It's at the very core of our fallen human condition. You see, asking that question in the city of man, a postmodern world that has turned its back on the creator king, can't be answered. For there is no truth. And there's no agreement 
on what truth is. It is a place that has lost complete sight of the truth. So when Pilate asks what is truth, he uses the Greek word apeleia, derived from the Greek prefix a, or without, and litho, to forget or to be hidden. So apeleia literally means unhidden or unforgotten. It signifies that which is ultimate, unchanging, and not subject to deceit or illusion or sleight of hand. Notice what's at stake here. For Jesus, as the way, the truth, the athalia, and the life, truth is not just a philosophical concept for us to argue over. It's an embodiment of God's very revelation, a reality made flesh in Him. <coughs> Jesus says in John 18, 37, I have come into the world to bear witness to what? The truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. And that is why the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, the Roman soldiers, and everyone else up to today can't hear his voice. and Don't even hear his voice. For they are not of the truth. Earlier in John 14, 6, John, Jesus says about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. So why is truth so important? Why is this in Scripture? Why did Pilate ask this question? Why is Jesus going to be crucified for his answer? Well, truth turns out to be the key that unlocks the prison of falsehood we have constructed and our culture has constructed for us and that we live in until we know Christ. In John 8.31, Jesus tells us this, If you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And here's the important part, brothers and sisters. The truth will set anybody here that doesn't want to be free? I said it to my class this morning. Maybe write on the inside cover of your Bible, now we are free. That, brothers and sisters, is why the truth is so important. That's why it's so precious. That's why it's so infinitely valuable. The truth will set us free. That is why we're warned in 1 John 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. For all that is, that is in the world is not from the Father. That is, it's not the truth. But it's from the world. In other words, these are things that men give their lives for. They reside in an untruthful place. And it's called the city of Remember, uh, as recorded in Matthew twenty-seven nineteen, when Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, do you remember this, this peace that enters into this trauma? <clears throat> His wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that, what does she call him? That righteous man, <clears throat> because I have suffered much because of him. 
Even the admonition by his wife goes unheeded by Pilate. Men, our wives have important things to say to us. So blinded is he by the need for the praise of those he rules over and his superiors. And let's not overlook the irony of what's happening here. Pilate sits in the judgment seat as judge and jury. His job is to determine the truth and rightly administer justice as a representative of Rome. He asks what is truth while he practices untruth. Truth is relative to him. Something that can be abandoned when it fits his goals. But these are the laws of the land and the kingdom of man. Let us not be surprised. In our own time, we need only look to our own justice system. On the front of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., above the main entrance. Have you seen it? Jean and I have taken our kids and walked by it and pointed it out. The words are etched, equal justice under law. Whose law? In which city? Do you believe it? Would the marginalized believe it? Would unborn children believe it? Would Christ believe it? Truth is treated in our culture as a matter of personal opinion. Something to be manipulated politically to suit the desires of the kingdom of man. In such a world, the very concept of absolute truth literally becomes impossible. I'm appealing to those of you who may still reside in the city of man. Like all of us, we complain about what's happening in our culture. You will never escape that. Because the rules in the city of man are opposite of the rules of the law that was etched on your heart from the time you were created. Romans 1 talks elegantly about this. How ironic and astounding then that standing before Pilate the very embodiment of truth. Jesus says so plainly in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Did you hear the allusion to Exodus 3, 14? When God says to Moses, I am who I am, in response to his question of what is your name, God? What do I call you? In Christ, truth is not just a concept, but a person. He is the unchanging, eternal truth of God in a world built on sifting sands. For us as Reformed believers, this is particularly significant. And I I, I want you to hear this. Our theology centers on the absolute truth and sovereignty of God and His unchanging nature in a world that constantly changes its definition and and its morals. God's truth remains an unchanging, steadfast anchor that you can count on. It will always be true 
It will never let you down. You will never be surprised. Because He has revealed His truth to us in the pages of Scripture. So do you want the truth? Can you handle the truth? Here it is. Jesus is the embodiment of truth eternal. Do you believe it? Be careful now. Do you believe this? Be careful. In this world, in the the kingdom or the city of man, if you answer yes, it might sink your job promotion. It might get you canceled. It might even get you killed. How do you believe it? Which city has your spiritual address? Philip Yancey, the Christian writer, asked, why would a man telling others to be nice to others lead to his murder by crucifixion? I actually think it's the wrong question with all due respect to Yancey, whose writings I respect. The real question is, why would you put to death a man who speaks the truth? Jesus was crucified, and this, I think, is the answer, because he dared to confront the Jewish leaders with the reality of two different kingdoms. He dared to claim that the city or kingdom of God was the only kingdom that was eternal and mattered. He dared to confront mankind with the truth that he and he alone is truth and the king of that kingdom of truth. So what about our response to truth? Jesus' conversation with Pilate serves as a stark reminder of the challenge of proclaiming truth here in Babylon, here in the kingdom of man. Despite the clear evidence and the testimony of Jesus' life and miracles, Pilate simply cannot grasp the difference of Christ's kingship over Caesar's. He cannot grasp the reality of the kingdom of truth that Christ represents. But what about us? Can we? Aren't we called to proclaim the truths of of the gospel in a world hostile to the very idea of absolute truth? Whose city do we live in? Whose praise do we want? I struggle sometimes. When I said I was retiring retiring from Mayo Clinic to, to do this and to pursue seminary, I was ridiculed. That was kind of hard for me to take. And it made me realize, in fact, it emboldened me. Ridicule me all you want. I want to live in the city of God. I want to live there forever. And I want to sing praises to God like we did this morning together with all of you. The challenge is significant to proclaim the truth. But we take heart, and this helps me, in knowing that the truth we proclaim is not reliant 
on our own abilities, but on the sovereign power of God to draw His people to Himself through His Holy Spirit, the helper He promised us. Pilate's question, what is truth, is an invitation for self-reflection. Which kingdom do we live in? Which do we actually believe and practice in our own lives? Do we live by the truths of God's word? Or do we waver, wanting to adapt the gospel to our own preferences? We see ample evidence of it in our own time. Denominations who will tell people anything they want to hear. There's no hell. Don't worry, everybody sins. It's no big deal. Or Jesus was just a man. Or here's one I get asked all the time, and I bet you do too. Jesus will forgive all of us. And in his mercy, everyone will go to heaven. No, you don't know truth. In his mercy, those who love him will go to heaven. And those who despise him will not have to be around him. And here is where we clap our hands over our mouths and in absolute awe fall to our faces. As Reformed believers, we hold fast to the doctrines of grace, understanding that it is only by God's sovereign will and His mercy alone that you and I were ever drawn and could hear about truth. The reality of this gift should cause us to fall to our knees and humble ourselves because we see truth more clearly. Our salvation and knowledge of the true truth have nothing to do with anything we did. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. And this is not of our doing. The reality is it's a complete gift of God. By the very invitation of God and God alone, we have been invited, or we use a theological term, effectually called, to be citizens of the city of God. And we don't deserve it. We did nothing at all to warrant such citizenship. To be honest, our individual and collective rebellion are such that We don't even deserve this spiritual address in the city of God. Pastor John and I were privileged to hear uh, Dr. O. Palmer Robertson at our graduation. Rachel uh, probably heard it online. He called it dismerited favor. We not only don't deserve it, we did everything we could to ensure we didn't get it. To be a bit crass about it, and I tread a bit on dangerous territory, but I'm just using it as an illustration. Brothers and sisters, you and I won the largest lottery that will ever be. And it can't be lost. It can't be stolen. It won't rust. And you can never outspend it. Let me conclude by saying that in a world where truth is often seen as fluid and malleable, We are in this passage instructed and reminded reminded of the unchanging nature of God's truth. Pilate's question echoing through the ages challenges us again and again to our own understanding. What is truth? 
The great reality is that Jesus is the truth that constructs all reality. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the truth that is the norming norm of truth itself. He's the truth that will always be. He tells us, I come into the world to bear witness to the truth. May we as followers of Christ and heirs of this great Reformed tradition be steadfast in our commitment to the person of truth. May we proclaim the gospel with confidence, knowing that in Christ we have the very embodiment of truth. May we always turn to God's word as the ultimate truth. As we engage with our culture, let us remember that we are citizens, I'll use a more common pronunciation, of a basilia, not bound by heaven, not bound by, I'm sorry, by borders. We're called to unveil the aletheia, the truth, in a cosmos that seeks concealment and is mortally threatened by truth. But you and I are to know truth and to proclaim truth. And the truth will set us free. For those of you that are here or may be listening who do not yet live in the city of God, I invite you and beseech you, pray that God might illumine your heart and mind, that he would reveal truth, truth that you cannot discover on your own, absent him, and make you a citizen. Lord God, our rescuer, our savior, our deliverer, our truth, come quickly, Lord. Call, Lord, those you have predestined to save. Change the hearts of those whom you have appointed as earthly rulers, such that they too would see and worship you, the one who is truth. And soon, Lord, soon we beseech you, let us see you face to such that you can wipe away our tears so that we might see you clearly and know truth fully. Thank you, King Jesus, for all those here whom you have saved. Grant to us hearts that yearn after your truth and yours alone, for we are fallible creatures, Lord, and dependent upon your continuing grace and mercy. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our sovereign King, that we pray. Amen. As a second grader, I lived in a neighborhood that was probably 95% Jewish. And uh, at Passover time, I would uh, come to school with my Wonder Bread peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And all that they could have was this. That was their Passover food. Unleavened bread. See, in the Bible, leaven is used as a, as a metaphor for sin. Paul tells the Galatians, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so during Passover time, during that festival, the Jews, this is what they're allowed to eat to remind them of the sin that is pervasive. And so they make the matzah, and I think it's very interesting, 
after a fashion of uh, Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53 says he was pierced through for our transgressions. This mantra you will notice is pierced through again and again. Isaiah 53 also tells us with his stripes we are healed. place around. If, if you are um, new to this church, if you, if you belong to another church, um, and this is uncomfortable for you, then just let the plates pass right in front of you. No one will think any of the lesson. But today, if you made Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh, the truth, that the Lord Jesus is, is in your life. And as these plates are passed, I would ask that you would hold the elements and we'll take together.
Lord Jesus, thank you that you willingly went to the cross so the truth might be imparted on us. Amen. Eight years ago today, talking with the vice president and physician in chief about the regimen of treatment that she would undergo. I remember being distracted as I looked up on the wall to the logo of that institution that very prominently displayed in her office. And it had the word cancer with a stripe through it. Today, as we remember the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, because he shed sin hasn't merely been struck through. It is washed away. May God bless us to remember as we take the cup remembering his word. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The new covenant. And that day when sin will be no more because our great physician has provided the Once again, please hold the cup until all are served, and then we will drink it.
drink from it. All of you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, the truth is Brothers and sisters, there is a Redeemer. Let's stand together and sing of him. truth of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All of God's people said together, Amen. Amen.